0: Hi, I'm Kurt Witt, marketing manager for Wynn Instruments. Welcome to this podcast featuring Yamaha saxophone artist George Shelby. You've heard him. Whether you realize it or not, you've heard him. In his feature commercial for Entertainment Tonight, or on American Idol, Good Morning America, or with William Shatner on those Priceline.com ads, or on all those ABC promos, maybe with Barry Manilow, or on the Academy Awards, Judging Amy, or Late Night with David Letterman, and a host of others. Maybe you've seen him perform live with Bobby Caldwell, Shaka Khan, Stevie Wonder, Dion Warwick, Smokey Robinson, Johnny Mathis, Jennifer Love Hewitt, Brian Setzer. Well, you get the idea. Join Yamaha product manager Jeff Hawley in his interview with George from his home studio in the Los Angeles area. We'd love to hear your comments about the Yamaha podcasts. Please feel free to email us at orchestra. All one word at Yamaha.com. Also, if you like what you're hearing on the Yamaha podcasts, go ahead and leave a comment on the iTunes Music Store under the Yamaha podcast page. This way, other people checking out the page can read comments and information about the Yamaha Wind Instrument podcasts.
1: I'm here with uh, George Shelby, saxophonist. Extraordinaire um, at his beautiful home in Woodland Hills, California. I think we're approaching 200 degrees today. At least, that's in the shade. Yeah, definitely warm out, but a beautiful, beautiful home. We've just been hanging out, talking saxophone. Which horns are you
2: currently playing? Uh, I was at the Horn Connection in Hollywood, gosh, this would have been 20 years ago, and I uh, was looking for a new tenor, and I, I decided I was going to try every horn in the shop. Every and, and Manny has always has 50 or 60 horns on hand. So I did it and I started playing. I started at one end of the shop and I just started playing my way through. And he had old Con 10Ms and of course sixes and and uh, just Keel words and every horn you can imagine. He's he had up on the wall and there was one horn that was a Yamaha, an old 62, and uh, the top of the horn was discolored because of the lacquer. And I said, what happened to that horn? He said, well, that horn was run over by a truck. I said, okay, that horn, I'm not gonna try. So I tried every horn in the shop and I thought, well, okay, you know, I really haven't tried every horn. So let me try the 62 just to, you know, so I can say I've tried every yeah. horn and I, I tried it and it was just magnificent. It just played wonderfully. So I left and I tried to talk myself out of the horn for about a week. So, oh, it was run over by a truck and you know the lacquer's not pretty but it played so well and so much better than every other horn I had tried in the shop that I went back a, a week later and, and I bought it. So it started with the tenor and then uh, I think six months later I added the alto got a 62 alto and then I had to get the soprano and I uh, just stuck with the family after that.
1: Maybe we should start offering the the pre-ran-over option, unlacquered <laughs> silver run-over. that you've done i I was amazed how varied it was between doing you know the really high level sideman type work and obviously your your solo project producing being you know kind of the studio guy the live guy and touring and traveling Uh, if you had to to pick one of those is it possible to say which one kind of which role you consider yourself the best
2: at or the most comfortable at that's a good question uh through force of habit, I'm pretty comfortable doing all of it, uh, and a lot of them calls for the same skills. Which is, you know, you have to be confident with what you're doing, and that's going to hold if you're out in front of an audience for your solo project, or if you're backing up whomever—Hillary Duff or Bobby Caldwell or Jennifer Love Hewitt or Barry Manilow—who you still have to bring that same confidence in what you do. To your performance it's just knowing how to modulate it yeah the difference between you know gee bobby just needs a 16 bar solo here he doesn't need a five minute exploration of everything i know in my jazz lexicon uh so you know maybe my strength is is hopefully knowing what each particular position needs and being able to fill that if if i walk into a studio and and the producer says, I, you know, I need a four bar sax solo and I don't need it to be too busy, then you should know how to bring that to what he needs. I think it's always, you're always trying to fulfill that responsibility of, of what the producer needs, what the audience needs, what the singer in front of you needs, and, and knowing how to fulfill that responsibility. So, I mean, the best way to be a sideman man, absolutely, is to lead your own band. Because then you immediately get an appreciation for what it's like making, you know, 25 phone calls trying to schedule a rehearsal and the rehearsal studio, and now your bass player can't make it, so you make another 20 phone calls rescheduling again. So you definitely get the appreciation for, you know, the leader just needs me to show up, shut up, and do my job.
1: You mentioned uh, in all of your current duties and things that's going on uh, that you actually you have an album out now, a solo album, correct? Correct and can
2: tell us a little bit about how that came about? And sure, the uh, name of the project is Touch, and uh, I wanted something, I'd, I'd been on the road for a few years, and the whole concept of, of reaching people musically, emotionally, and that kind of communication with, with the players on stage, and that, that no matter how, if a person was sitting in the back row of the auditorium or at the jazz festival, you, there was still a touch that occurred from the stage to the audience musically and back, you know, in the audience's appreciation to what the artist got. So it was this touch. So I, I I titled the CD that and it was kind of an exploration of those different kind of, of touches. Up tempo groove things, but just kind of celebrated that communication that we all share. Not necessarily one on one, or you know. But I get emails from people years later of, oh, I saw you play in St. Louis, and I really enjoyed it. And never had to meet that, and never got the opportunity or privilege to meet that person. But still, you know, they got something from from yeah. you know, the performances yeah. I did from them. Wow.
1: Any plans for a follow-up album? Yeah.
2: Yeah, and we're actually working on a couple of them right now. Uh, one that is another groove-oriented CD, and that one is more a, uh, gosh, I, I, I don't want to call it a straight-ahead project, but a little more exploratory, musically speaking, and uh, going a little left and being a little more aggressive. So we're actually working on both of those right now.
1: If someone's curious, they want to find out more about you, where's the, the best place to... Easiest is yeah. just to go
2: to georgeshelby.com, okay. and there's a news in advance a uh, page they can click on which keeps them up to date on where I'm performing and what's coming up on the calendar the recording
1: studio you know that used to be millions and millions of dollars and take up you know 12 rooms and tubes everywhere now you know you can fit into a laptop and a, a lot of the industry seems to be changing and evolving and
2: have you seen any really effect in your career oh absolutely I do I do a lot of recording across the internet for people projects from all over the world where you know they've heard my playing and they would like me to play on a project of theirs so they'll email me an mp3 and I'll bring it here to my home studio and lay them down a myriad bunch of tracks and send it back to them and which I think is great for everyone because the sax player in Minnesota can be playing on the composers track in South Africa and you know it's really opened up the market it certainly has opened up the competition, too. Sure. Yeah. <laughs> you know, so everyone everyone is getting more of an equal shot. It's becoming less uh, geographically dependent on where you are. Uh, you, you know, you still have the same problems of people becoming aware of who you are and what you do. Mm-hmm. And uh, the advantage is still, if you're in New York or LA or Chicago or Austin, Nashville you can still go down to the local clubs and make connections and, and hang out with people so there, there's still it's still a marketing problem but definitely the technology has made reaching out to people across the world much easier on musical projects.
1: What would you consider to be the all-time greatest
2: saxophone album? Wow. I, I would say you have to go to the Charlie Parker Savoy Sessions be, because he defined a music genre at that point he you know he invented bebop and for every other for every other sax player who's come after him i don't know if someone has been as successful reinventing not reinventing but inventing a genre that didn't exist before and coming up with a new vocabulary and a new style and and yeah. i don't think it's really ever been duplicated certainly not to that amount of success. So, if if I have to go with the greatest, sure, I'm, I'm probably going to say Charlie Parker. You know, almost as successful was was David Sanborn. You know, coming out stylistically with, you know, <laughs> and you can argue that you know, because Grover Washington Jr. was was certainly as influential in terms of contemporary jazz. Uh, I'd start with Parker, but there have been also many other touchstones of guys then redefining the genre in terms of where it was headed. Who, who's your
1: favorite saxophonist out there playing now?
2: It, well, it, it still, for me, starts and starts and ends with Michael Brecker, just in terms of creativity and, and imagination and a player who can cross through so many genres and play in a straight ahead quartet can play in his, you know, play the Brecker Brothers and play with Paul Simon and, and still, you know, we talked before about bringing what's appropriate to the chair and he's the master of, of that. I mean, he played on that Diana Krall recording of Just the Way You Are and it's just beautiful. You know, and then you go listen to Tales from the Hudson and he's going left and it sounds great. It's imaginative. Um, so so definitely Michael Brecker. In, in terms of pure tone, it's hard to beat Kirk Whalem. You know, he's. I just love his sound, and uh, same with Dave Cause on on alto. His sound is. Re- he has such a sweet sound on alto. You know, it's hard to match that. So <laughs> every time you ask me for yeah. one name, I'm bringing up like six <laughs> different guys. <laughs> <laughs>
1: Great. Right. Well, well, I'll make it easier on the next question then. One of the fun things that we've we've got a chance to do through the course of these podcasts is get a, a little bit slightly more personal than you would in a, a formal fancy radio interview. And I remember... Uh, in uh, interviewing Dave Koz, we actually got on the subject of what his favorite coffee was. When he goes to Starbucks, you know what he orders, and you know, he orders the extra hot, which I never even knew you could do that. Uh, I, we just interviewed Brad Gardner, you know, a classical flute player, and, and he did, he orders the the black eye, which is two a double espresso shot. So anyway, so so when you go to Starbucks or you're out, wherever you're at, you're getting coffee. Is there anything weird you do, or
2: is? Yeah, I don't drink coffee. I've become pretty much just a water guy, huh. and, and that may part of that may be the 110 degrees <laughs> that we're going to th- yeah. this summer. Uh, f- for me, a lot of it is is about energy, and it. And I, I certainly have gone through my, my energy drinks and my double caffeinated you know stuff and, and uh, all of that. And I find for me as a player that, that I'm always looking for this emotional balance of being very relaxed when I play. And, uh, and caffeine does not do that for me on any level. So I've kind of come back around to after going through you know 6 a.m. flights and, and give me the, you know, double espresso and, you know, getting the caffeine chomp of, of realizing that, yeah, water is just kind of doing it for me again. Mm-hmm. Well, cool. Well, there we go. <laughs> we'll, we'll have to put the little image down at the bottom.
1: At this point, will be just water. <laughs> cool. It's got to be cold. Cold it be water. Cool. Okay. <laughs> Has to be cold. What would be your advice to aspiring
2: musicians I, I think the most important thing for any player is you need to find your voice as an artist. if, if I come out with, with a CD that sounds exactly like David Sanborn, why are they gonna buy my CD when they already have David Sanborn or if you know if I study my whole life to sound exactly like whomever you know in, insert your name here, it ultimately really doesn't serve the artist. Any purpose you certainly want you want to be able to to draw from from that from that lexicon of you know oh to be able to sound sandbornish or to be able mm-hmm. to quote Michael Brecker and, and study Coltrane and and but you, you know I mean Parker said it you study all your scales and then forget and just play and and so I think the most important thing ultimately for any artist is to be able to find their voice and and to search for what's meaningful for them first of all what speaks to them musically because there's you know after you've caught your your 5 a.m. flight and ridden on the bus for an hour and a half and you get to the jazz festival and you don't have a chance to sound check and your read is not that great and you didn't really get a chance to warm up you better really love the music you're playing because you're that that 45 minutes to an hour 20 on stage is ultimately going to make everything that occurred before worth it and that's why guys get up at 5 a.m. and catch the flight and ride the bus and and put up with the what sometimes honestly are miserable conditions is because you get on stage and you're doing what you love and, and it's magic and golden so first off find your voice and do what you love because doing what you love will carry you beyond all the crud you're going to have to deal with to get to that point. Then getting past that point and once you've found what you love and you're pursuing your passion, I think it's it's taking a realistic look at the market as it exists today and as you think it will exist six months from now, a year from now and Trying to approach it realistically to be successful on a business level. You know, 20 years ago, Tom Scott was doing five, six sessions a week and going down to Dante's in LA and playing at night. And, you know, 40 years before that, and Charlie Parker was on the bus and, and, you know, doing the circuit. And you can't base your business model on what's happened before because the market is evolving too quickly and the the methods of delivery, be it MP3s or whatever, are changing so fast. So I think you need to look at what's happening now and how you can then get to your audience based on the technology that's out there and available, hmm. which, is, which is an advantage and a disadvantage because it's still, your two greatest challenges as an artist is to create something really meaningful and then to get that product out to people. I I know a lot of artists who spend months and months crafting their CD and they record and get great players and they mix it and it sounds wonderful and by the time they've finished they're now so exhausted that product sits in their garage literally because they don't have the energy to go out and then really start marketing it and when you get your CD in your hand your product that you spent so much time writing and arranging and producing and working on the sounds and you're now exactly halfway done because now starts the process of letting everyone in the world know about this this child this musical child that you brought forth you know which is its whole other you know set of difficulties that you need to address so yeah it's it's finding your voice and then once you get your voice it's finding the way to get it out to people to listen to and being realistic about it you know and and man it's okay if if you're playing in Ohio and right now if only people in in Ohio know about you that's great that's fine because given the technology the way it is now that's gonna spread soon enough, you know.
1: Well cool, thank you so much. Uh, Been really fun. My pleasure, thanks.